welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond, and with me today is our producer, AJ Faleri. Hello, I'm here. Quickly swallowing the boba that I had in my mouth because you didn't say you were starting. How are the levels, the bars, the boba? Uh, the boba's great, uh, as always. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a tarot boba fool, and the bars are looking great. I don't great. know much about the different types of boba, so... Yeah, I don't know. Taro, I don't know. It's taro root. I don't really know what it is. It looks like a purple ginger, but I can't really describe the taste because it kind of just tastes like bubble tea to me. And anyway, let's get the show started. Ten Very Big Books is a Malazan read-through podcast, mm-hmm. as you probably know. But it started off with uh, me, India Jones, and Joshua Baker. And a dream. And, and a dream. <laughs> And one podcast producer who was not on the show proper, rather just doing the mixing, making the bars, making the levels all flat and smooth. Mm-hmm. But then, cut to House of Chains, Am this I- producer wanders, on, wanders onto the show, wanders onto the stage. Yeah, I, I emerge from the mist. Emerge from the mist. So, uh, tell me, uh, Aj, what was, what, what had happened with books one and two and three, and then, like, you get in on the show? Yeah, so, uh... Well, I mean, when you came to me with this idea a, a, a while ago, you'd said something about a 10-book series. It's very big. It's very high fantasy, very dense, uh, notoriously not difficult, but there's a lot in it. Has, has, has a reputation. Has a reputation. And I thought, this sounds like a cool idea for a podcast. I will never touch these books ever in my life. Um, yes, you were pretty resolved. I'm not, I'm not a big reader, really, at all. And even so, now, I wouldn't call myself a big reader. I'm a big reader of Malazan books now, <laughs> but I'm not very much a big reader. So after uh, editing the first season of the show, uh, Through Gardens of the Moon, I thought, wow, this, is, this book's doing a lot of stuff. I think if I read it alongside the podcast, I could actually work through these books because the click that we go through is pretty reasonable. Like three or four chapters every two weeks is is pretty reasonable to me. Um, oh my god, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. So keep so going. that definitely took a lot of the pressure off. <clears throat> so when we started, when you started recording Dead House Gates, I thought, okay, I will read right before I edit the show. So I read about the first ten chapters of Dead House Gates, and then for one reason or another fell off, I don't know, time or, you know, working and then also editing the podcast. I don't know, whatever. I stopped reading Dead House Gates. Uh, so finished the second season of the podcast and I thought, wow, this book is really, these books are really good. They, they seem really good. Memories of Ice right. comes and then, around. And then Memories of Ice comes and you had said Memories of Ice. Uh, I think you said something along the lines of like, it's the most accessible book in the series because it's just so just like, it is a fantasy novel. Like, fully up and down it's you're making yeah, a- <laughs> I, 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 yeah i don't know how i characterized it then but i broadly agree it's a pretty easy book to get into yeah. i think so at that point i decided well i need to actually you know lock in and do it with it. so i i i had read before i record or uh, before i edited every one of these episodes uh for memories of ice i had a great time memories of ice incredible book all-time great highly recommend you know amazing time so then in the off season between Memories of Ice and House of Chains. Pete and I were talking, and uh, I had been in our group chat talking about how much I, I loved this book. Um, and I Yeah, well, the thing is, every week when you were reading Memories of Ice, right. l- like, you would just be blasting us with your Memories of Ice opinions. Right, and because like, it, was the oh. only, it was the only space that I had to yell about these books because we didn't have the Discord yet. So I was just yelling at my friends <laughs> because I didn't know where else to go. And then uh, I think I 
brought the idea up in one of our production meetings uh, in the off season of of me maybe coming on in the fourth season uh, for House of Chains in kind of a uh, like other side of the glass producer role where like I'll give my input every once in a while, but I'm not necessarily like a co-host on the show. Um, I think that's how we initially envisioned it. Yes, but, that was definitely the initial pitch. Uh, but I think we've kind of straight. I, I had a concern that four would be too many people on the show. Yeah. yeah, and I definitely share that concern. And like I have experience in in radio production, like like live radio. So I was kind of comfortable being, you know, quote unquote, behind the board, just like hitting the buttons or whatever. And then, you know, giving my input every once in a while. Uh, and then that really turned into me just like coming with quotes every week. And then well, I guess uh, I guess you're a big note taker. Well, OK, so I wasn't reading these books and reading these books for the podcast have changed the way that I consume this particular series. Um, because I had found in the early episodes of House of Chains, I, I, I was just reading the book, I'd read the chapters, and then I would come onto the show, uh, and I would feel really unprepared to contribute, I guess, um, if Peter would ask me a question or, or, you know, whatever. So I guess about halfway through House of Chains, I started taking notes, um, just general notes about each section of each chapter, and that really helped me kind of hone in um, exactly the stuff that I wanted to bring up, and that was when I kind of started bringing quotes as well. And now that is how I've read Midnight Tides and how I'm currently reading Bone Hunters. I mean, now, if anything, you're so prepared to put in the rest of us to shame. You know? <laughs> Thanks. Oh, you know what? Actually, at, uh, like halfway through Midnight uh, Memories of Ice was, I think, when we had started the Discord, I think. And I had said that I was reading the books and people were, I don't remember how the idea came up, but I started giving my thoughts on these sections at the end of the episode. And it was making my outro thing like five and a half minutes long. <laughs> Um, which was just yeah, unconscionable. because you read it during Memories of Ice because you kept right. I have my memories. You know, can you imagine? I mean, it's, it's it was only two books ago. I guess three books ago now, but it was also you know a year and a half or whatever. So we've we've done a lot between then. Which you know, at this point, the listener, you may I'm sure we titled the episode, but yeah. we haven't really introduced what we're doing, right? And like we're building up because we've now finished Midnight Tides, book five. Boom. <laughs> and we're going into Bone Hunters. We've actually recorded two episodes now. Uh-huh. And we felt like I kind of told AJ. Yeah, I'm gonna say you felt. Uh yeah, I felt very strongly. I was like, well, if like, you're here, you're a host now. Like, you're essentially on the show full-time, you know? Right. Like, going into the back half of the series, I think you need to have read Gardens of the Moon Deadhouse Gates. You know, I mm -hmm. don't think... I know you edited the, those episodes, and you kind of have a gist of what it is. I just thought, mm -hmm. like, if we're really going to be on the show, and this is we're going to have these conversations, you needed to have been through those stories right. so we took a bit of a longer break in between midnight tides and bone hunters a break we're in right now and during this time you sat down and got through both gardens of the moon and dead house gates mm -hmm. and that's kind of what we're gonna do here today because you took two stabs at them that long time ago but you finished the stories and we just wanted to give some space on the podcast to kind of you know double back and have hear, hear AJ what you think about these two books and talk about what they mean for you reading them here since mm -hmm. you did this weird 34512 order. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's the Malazan all, it's machete all, order, I guess. The Malazan machete order. Jump yeah. in at three. But listen, <laughs> it, all, it, all, it all worked out. So let's get the episode started then. Yep. Yeah. 
Guardians of the Moon. Ganos Perrin, Moonspawn, Darugistan, uh -huh, The Assassins, uh -huh. and Amanda Ray, Krupp, uh, you know, I could just keep listing proper nouns. So, like, yeah. I don't know, book one, baby. What, what, do you, what do you, what'd you think? You know, it's so big. I don't need, what angle do you want to start the conversation from? Yeah, uh, I don't even know. Like, so, so the way that I read these books, I started out just reading them straight up, uh, and then I quickly realized I'm, you did some audiobooks, yeah, right? Yeah, I did the like second half of Gardens of the Moon audiobook, and then I did all of Dead House Gates audiobook, but uh, for a, a good portion of it, I had the book in front of me while I was listening to the audiobook, mm. just to kind of keep me on track, I guess, to stop me from getting distracted or anything, just so that I would have like, okay, well, this chapter's going to take me an hour or whatever, and then no matter what, you know, the chapter would take me an hour. I'm on the edge of my seat over here, bro. What you think of Gardens of the Moon? Gardens of the Moon, all in all, I think is an extremely good book. Uh, mm. I had a great time reading it. It was not hard for me at all. <laughs> um, I yeah, knew I, what all the words meant. I think that's a real difference. I'm interested here because I know for me, the first, like my impression of the book was so formed by me struggling through it the first time I read the right. series. Um, right. And obviously you did not have to do that. Like, what is Malazan? How does Steven Erickson write a story? Right. Yeah, one of the my, my first note is I I kind of wish I could experience this like quote unquote properly, you know, not I knowing mean, what was happening. But it's a real per reader thing. Some people really don't have a problem with the book. Yeah, um, and I think I definitely would have if I if I didn't have all this context that I have built up previously. But I I think it allowed me to enjoy this book not as like the first in the series, but just as like another entry in the series, mm. like because you know. More or less, I know where these storylines go because sure. I've read three, four, and five. I guess three and four because five doesn't really count. So I kind of knew like what characters to kind of hold on to and which ones to kind of not give too much of a crap about, which I feel like was a thing that India and Josh uh, really struggled with when when we when they were reading through the the series initially uh, because I just remember I think it was India talking about all the names that came up and how little so many of them mattered. <laughs> No, but I mean, this whole book, I think, did just a really great job of setting the stakes, setting up like, you know, what magic looks like in this world, like it, what the deck of dragons is, it really tries to drive home, like what the deck of dragons does and what it means to be able to read a deck of dragons and all this stuff. And there's also a lot of I definitely would not have picked up on this, I don't think. A lot of talk of chaos, a lot of talk of chaos and the space between Warrens. And that's something I definitely would not have picked up on uh, if I was reading this for the first time. No, you're so dead on. Chaos is introduced and like an important foundational world building concept. But it, really it is, is really only touched upon in Gardens of the Moon so explicitly. Yeah, which is wild because I don't think it ever came up on the show. No, we talked about it for sure. Yeah. All right. I mean, it was a while ago. So, man. There's just so much in this book. I love the bridge burners. Uh, I, I guess I haven't actually seen up the proper bridge burners in the series yet. Yeah, let's talk um, about the bridge burners. We got to yeah. kind of find our way into the book since there's so many different angles to it, right? Right, yeah. So yeah. what, you know, as you said, you haven't really been with them. In fact, you know, they're in Memories of Ice. That is a kind of bridge burners heavy book, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah, that's fair. I guess I kind of misspoke. But what did you think about being introduced to them like this? Perrin's introduction to them and then their kind of Darugistan mission. Yeah, Perrin's, I had no recollection of 
Heron's introduction to the bridge burners of like being appointed by Lacine to be this new captain. And he's just like this noble born kid who doesn't really, you know, have experience or whatever. And I think really it, it established Perrin as a character that I didn't think he was in this book. Like I thought in this book, he was, I thought his arc rather was more of like a, a crocus kind of arc where like he started out kind of like incompetent and like silly and stuff in this book. And then in like, uh, memories of ice, he kind of, you know, buckles down because he's got that that hound of shadow inside him. So he, you know, got dark and gritty. But like this whole book, he is just a great character. Uh, I, I love his entire arc in this book. A quick, quick point. I don't think he is. He doesn't have a hound of shadow inside him, but I know you're just briefing. Brief, the, the uh, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Sure. So I agree. I think there's a major difference, especially compared to some other characters. Like he is inexperienced, but he's not incompetent. Right. right. He, he is kind of more entering a world that is outside his depths. So right. I think it's more still... about him like rising to these positions where he's dealing with all these conflicts at the height of the Elder Gods or these, you know, uh, that's we were just talking about in Bone Hunters, but in this book of imperial politics and all this stuff, mm. and he is less familiar with that world. It's not that he's like, oh no, my shoes, or I don't know, that was my incompetent <laughs> person impression. Yeah, yeah, that was great. No, yeah, he ex- exactly. He comes in as someone who's like, okay, I'm working for the Empire, um, just like doing my thing. And then as he approaches the bridge burners, they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> Like, no, you're like, fuck you. Yeah, like, be a be a person with your own thoughts, which I thought was just really funny. And when he gets murdered, that happens so early. That happens so early on in the book. Uh, it really surprised me. I had to, like, go back and read that section. I think <laughs> like, him getting murdered is, like, kind of inspired. You know, I have a bunch of problems with Guardians of the Moon, as you well know. Sure. But, like, I just think that's kind of such a great subversion of this idea that like here's the captain he's coming to his post it's the start of our story oh his soldiers kill him we're done yeah well and and that combined with the fact that he is the first person we meet oh yeah he's kind of cat he is like he is kind of cast as the main character in that book right because we start with him as a kid you know giving shit to that sergeant or whoever and then and then it's like oh several years later he's talking to whiskey jack was that Whiskey Jack? I don't. It, it's there's so much malice in my brain right now. Yeah, well, I'm, you crushed two books blurred. and you've been reading Bone Hunters, so you got to be <laughs> yeah. a bit all over the place. <laughs> yeah. In addition to Perrin, we're also kind of introduced to Sari as one of the main characters of the story. Mm-hmm. And you've been reading Absalar. Yeah. But what did you make of reading Sari in this book, which is such a really important book for her character? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, there's. Obviously, there's so much in this in this book uh, about Sari and and her transition into Absalar. And I first of all, I didn't think she was a POV character, which is which was just wild to me uh, that we got her POV because she's possessed by a god. And like, that's not a like we don't usually see that, you know, um, that what the gods are doing. And until uh, I mean, I guess we only see Cotillion more or less. I don't know. Maybe that's wrong anyway. But seeing sorry be you know a child with a god inside and like know what's happened like i know what's happening was really interesting because i was looking at it of like the whole time that she was sorry i was looking at it through the lens of like this is cotillion like cotillion is doing these things sure and then once she is dispossessed unpossessed when she when she turns into uh absalar which actually that absalar isn't an absalar that i had ever seen before like that's just straight up, you know, her being that Fisher girl again. Like when, she, 
when when she first gets unpossessed, which I thought was really interesting. Well, it's kind of a bridge into Deadhouse Gates, Absalar, which is another character you hadn't really known. Right. Yeah. So I thought her character was was super fun to read. Just a a, a, a wild POV, and, and it's just like the. The Cotillion that we know now, we just talked about it in, in the latest Bone Hunters episode. Um, the Cotillion that we know now is like, you know, kind of show offy and like a little bit goofy and, you know, has has his feet. He's got a grounded. bit of a zest to him. Right. He's he has like been ascended. He knows what it's like to be this person. But when he's possessing sorry, it's still kind of like dancer, um, I think. Of they're kind of just like an edgy assassin who like knows that they're better at killing than everybody else is. So that was just really interesting to to read as well, and I think gives gives more of an arc to Cotillion because like I is Cotillion in Memories of Ice? I don't. Think I kind so. of disagree, but um, okay. I shan't expound more. But I just wanted to note my dissent. Um, why, well, wait. Why don't you want to expound? Um. Well, all I feel is that Cotillion as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, like has his wits about him and is like a brutal dude with a plan. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, sure, there's all these other things about him and you can like get get lost in the whatever. It's, I feel the same thing with Shadow Throne, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure, you can get lost in the sauce thinking about whatever they're doing with their hands or something. But like, you know, <laughs> they got their eye on the prize. They're like, they, they're, they're doing something, you know? They're, they're like scheming. This is like a defining aspect of them, you know? Yeah, and I don't mean to say that that I think Cotillion's not scheming in these later books. It's just like because of what he did to Absalar, he has like you know stakes elsewhere in a way of of you know actual feelings uh, about a thing that they, that he has done. I, I do agree that in this book, especially since you don't really yet know that Shadow Throne and Cotillion are dancer and Killenbed. In this book, I do think is when they appear the most kind of self-serious, you know, where mm-hmm. the book presents them that way. That they're, like Absolutely. they're behind this veil and it's the god of assassins and whoa. And then like, you know, kind of that guard is let down and we spend more time with them as like, you know, shooting the shit and like, you know, people. So I agree right. in that regard. So we touched on sorry. Also within this Bridge Burners squad, we got, you know, Whiskey Jack and the crew, you know, Kalam Quick Vent, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing Whiskey Jack uh, again slash for the first time made me really sad. Uh, and the whole time I was reading, it's like, when's he going to hurt his foot? When's he going to hurt his foot uh, or knee? Whatever, whatever it is that gives out. It, knee, it happens at the Fet. Yeah. Yes, it does happen at the Fed. But the whole time I was like, okay, well, it's going to be some like innocuous thing that, that we're not going to think about. It's laid on pretty thick. Uh, like immediately <laughs> after it happens, someone's like, Whiskey Jack, you should the you should really fix your knee. And then no, yeah. no, uh, this is, starts almost immediately. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it oh jeez. Um, yeah, he immediately starts setting it up as like, oh, well, he's not going to let this seal properly. Um, but getting Clem and Quickman, I thought was great because I had only experienced their dynamic via the podcast mm. because they're not in you know no, this, Deadhouse. Wait. Yeah, we're touching well, I, on them now in book six, but they're mostly here. Yeah, they they talk a bit in Deadhouse Gates, uh, just through the stone or whatever, and and Quick Ben sends the the trade guilds uh, thing, uh, but like they're they're not hanging out <laughs> at all in any of these other books. Uh, so in this book, to see them 
or to, yeah, to, to have them together, just like being bros, um, you know, being old friends was, was, was really wild. Um, and I think I didn't catch on to this until I started the audiobook. And I think I told you this, Pete, I wasn't reading quick Ben as like frantic and kind of afraid a bit, uh, all throughout gardens of the moon until I started listening to the book, uh, listening to the book rather. And Ralph Lister does a great job, by the way. Divisive take. Some people don't like Ralph. I think, I I mean, I listened to a bit of Bone Hunters just to see what it was like as well. Um, I think that guy also does a great job. I think they're two totally different vibes. Michael Page. They are really different vibes. Yeah. Um, But I really do enjoy Ralph Lister's frantic quick Ben uh, all throughout Gardens of the Moon, just like trying to hold it together, like knowing that something's up and, you know, kind of being afraid to do anything. Uh, and especially because the the Warrens are being assaulted at that point. I think Ralph Lister does a good job, but definitely <laughs> okay. is laying it on pretty thick. You know, yeah. he's like he's like having fun with it in yeah, a big absolutely. way. He's like doing a lot of voices. He, yeah, Ralph Lister does a lot, a lot of voices. It wasn't really until like halfway through, maybe three quarters of the way through Dead House Gates, was like, ah, he's done this voice before. Yeah. Anyway, quick <laughs> quick audio audiobook sidetrack. Yeah. So yeah, Quickman was great. Kalam was great. I I think they described, I mean, in, De- in Dead House Gates, they did describe Kalam as like a big dude. But I think it was really, when when you first are introduced to Kalam, he's like, he's this like hulking guy who's also this magic uh, magic assassin, uh, which is just like, whenever I was reading him through um, House of Chains, I just wasn't seeing this like buff dude. Uh, and now that's all I see. <laughs> Here's a question for you, bring it out of the bring it up to the abstract. Yeah, baby. How do you feel about this imperial conquest of Ganabacus and, you know, their desire to conquer Dorugistan, you know? Um I think I'm going to disappoint you because as I've said on the podcast previously, a lot of the like uh imperial conquest and like war planning talk like goes right over my head, but in this book I don't know. There was so much other stuff happening in this book that that was so low on my radar. Um, sure, I get that. Like, I know. Here's why I'm bringing it up. Sure. It's because I like these characters. Of course, I enjoy having a good time with them. But especially in this book, I, of course, like almost everyone in Darugistan more and also think they are in this position of like fighting colonizers who are trying to conquer their city. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And like I enjoy like enjoy the bridge burners, but also recognize like I know there's a, it's a more complicated thing than that, especially when you get into the actual situation the bridge burners are in. But like I am never like, man, I hope the Malazans win the day and conquer this city. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the only times I'm rooting for a side uh, or like rooting for the bridge burners or anything is when it's like the tyrant or some sort of like existential threat. I'm like, man, I sure hope humanity wins. And it's not like I sure hope the Malazans win, you know, like when even in Memories of Ice, like when they're fighting the, the Panyan Domin, I was like, man, I hope they beat these cannibals like the, the, the bar is so low. Yeah, I guess I still always like kind of has my back up about that because it still feels like I'm being forced to root for them, you know? Sure, I get that. Yeah. Um, Just a side note, someone on the Discord used the phrase, get your back up, um, mm -hmm. which is a phrase I had never heard before and I now Mm. use all the time. It's a good phrase. It's a great phrase. Love it. 10 out of 10. Anyway, so touch on that, but let's go in. Now that we talked about it, let's go inside the city of Blue Flame. Darugistan, mm-hmm. baby. Honestly, probably my favorite setting in the books. Yeah, I was going to say, I love Darugistan as a setting. Like, I've constantly been 
thinking about it as just like a place. And, you know, I, I play a fair amount of Dungeons and Dragons. And I just think like how dynamic and wild of a setting Darugistan is. I think it's, the whole it's world is just clearly seems like a hoot to game in, right? I mean, yeah, it just abs- it just absolutely. rings of that type of world, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, literally made to be that. But yeah, of I course. think just, it, yeah, the way that it's described and just the 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 life that it has, Darugistan, uh, sure. is is nuts. It's it's so cool. Here's here's just total sidetrack. Then we should get back to current Sure. So like I love playing Dungeons and Dragons and these games, right? Mm-hmm. And something I love about like I like these settings, the setting of Malazan, right? But I guess part of me has this weird thing, especially since we didn't create the world, right? Mm-hmm. Where it seems like it's really thought out and that there's stuff that is in the world, there's stuff that isn't in the world. There's these rules and they're kind of unfixed, unchanging. You know, there's this stuff, right. there's not this stuff, which is fine. You know, I of course, you know, but also the rules do seem a little fuzzy, right? And that's fine too. But mm-hmm. I think something I love about in role-playing games and in Dungeons and Dragons or something, like if I'm playing D&D and we opened up the, the cabinet and literally anything could be in it is how I feel. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Like that's the, it's like one of the pros and the cons of the D and D setting is how generic it is. Do you mean if we open mm-hmm. it up and it was a leprechaun, it would be like, oh my god, we're doing leprechauns, right. you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's like kind of this joy that like what's in that corner? It's Santa Claus. Santa Claus is here. <laughs> Thank you, C.S. Yeah. Lewis. I'm so stoked. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's also the kind of the con if it's just like, you know, no rules, just right, you know, whatever. So I I think when I think about the Malazan world in a role playing sense, I'm like, man, I kind of wish there was like a bit more leprechauns shit. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I think like just the introduction of the Jagged Tyrant and like we're spending all this time in Darugistan doing all this stuff and like we know we've seen maybe dragons in the distance. That's not crazy fantasy stuff. Um, I mean, it, it is crazy fantasy stuff, but it's not like too out there. But then once we start getting to like the Jagged Tyrant like emerging and then like, yeah, he he points a finger and blows a mountain up, which was just like, <laughs> like blew my mind. Ra- Raced has such a great introduction. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's something that Steve does really well throughout all the books that we've read is like, especially in, in book five, I think just the, the, the sheer amount of power that a being can hold and, and how to make it like horrifying. I think he is very good at showing like intense amounts of power. Do you think the Jagged Tyrant's a weakness of the book? I don't think it's a weakness, but it did. I don't know. I think coming into it, I thought that was the climax. Like I thought that was going to be the climax of the book when in reality it felt like it was just like a separate thing that happened that didn't really affect the book. Um, It seems like I kept thinking this as I was reading it. It seems like it would be a really cool thing for if you were role playing, like if we were playing D and D and we're at the FET and we're doing this stuff and we're going to have a, a, there's going to be a duel and like, wow, cool. And then, you know, as you guys are fighting, the DM is like, Oh, in the distance, you see this dragon spraying these five dragons spraying fire down at something and a mountain blows up, but we're back here and we're still doing this duel. Like in the book, I don't know if it really did much for the story, but it definitely did show like what this world is capable of. I think, uh, cause up until, until that point, like the most wild stuff we had seen was God, I don't even know. I, I guess the assassin stuff like that stuff got got pretty 
nuts, I suppose, but nothing and like raced. It's one of those things that kind of gets loopy because you did this three, four, five, one, two order where, well, yeah. you know, the first time you're reading it, you don't really know what the Jagat are or like anything mm. about them. You know, uh, really, right. all you know is a little bit about the Talani mass and they're, then the Jagat are defined in their relationship to the mass, you know? Right. So it's a kind of different type of emergence into the story. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but if it was my first time reading, I think I would have been like, blown away by that part because and I mean I think in some ways I still kind of am because it does like I said do a great job of showing you like there's more in this world and you should be afraid of it because we spent so much of this book you know setting the stakes within the city and setting the stakes of the empire and the bridge burners and the the assassins guild and all this stuff and it's like that could be a fantasy novel and then all of a sudden we got a giant blown up mountains with his mind a giant whatever <laughs> We are not going to get to everything in this book. Not even close. No. <laughs> and, and you read Dead House Gates. We are up Shit's Creek with this podcast, brother. I was just thinking like, man, and I thought I had more to say about Dead House Gates, but we'll see. <laughs> I w- well, I was just like, man, we're like, I was really thinking about how we've barely touched on the book. I mean, we're like, <laughs> we're like a few inches deep into this bad mama jamma. Yeah, but I mean, if you want to listen to a podcast that's about the specific events of the book, like there's already a podcast for that, you know, this is about how I feel about it. All right. This is my podcast. This is my world. Anyway, uh, let's get back to Guards of the Moon. So uh, <laughs> let's talk about Darugistan. We started to touch. We touched on it as a setting itself. But of course, in it mm. is Crocus Younghand, the single greatest character in the series, <laughs> along with several other of his fun supporting friends. Um, yeah. Who, what, which one do you what did you grab onto? Um, I mean, I immediately grabbed onto Crocus because I, you know, he's a character that I've been with. So I was all those characters that I have encountered in other books. It's like, OK, cool. This is fun to see where they started. Um, and I I think I fully knew almost all of Crocus's uh, arc in this in this uh, story. Um, sure. Just coming in because it's not too nuts. He like falls in love with a girl and does a bunch of dumb stuff. Uh <laughs> that's kind of his heart throughout this not to offend pete i'm sorry no keep that sounds like crocus <laughs> to me <laughs> um i'm krupp as always is obviously I, i'm a huge fan also falls in love with is an interesting way to characterize it <laughs> thinks thinks he falls in love with <laughs> yeah uh krupp is great i think baruch is actually a really interesting character i didn't know crone was in this book and i loved crone in memories of ice crone i don't know rules. if that's a yeah, I don't know if that's a weird take or whatever, but I love Crone, and the fact that uh, she was in this book was so good. It was it was it was content that I didn't know I wanted, and content that I didn't know was in the book. So I'm, I was really really hot on all the the, the Crone stuff. I like how Crone's a little sassy, you know, because yeah. <laughs> I think when you talk about that type of raven crow imagery it's like usually it has this like thus spoke what's the what's the poem what the raven by edgar Allan poe but what's the line in the raven spoke the raven nevermore yes okay exactly this there's this imagery you know uh-huh uh-huh. And it's like all gothic and severe, you know, mm. and then here comes Crone just like giving a little back talk, you know? Yeah, I think it's great uh, that Crone shows up to uh, Baruch before Animander Rake does and it's like, hey, 
my my master's coming in a bit, but why don't me and you talk for a couple minutes? <laughs> like that that scene is so good. There's a scene where where Crohn's talking to Baruch, uh, and it's I don't know. I just loved the whole dynamic of it. I really really loved it. Here's why I love Crocus and his storyline with Chalice in this book. You know, and just you know, it, it, I, I just as a character in total. Although I find the storyline with Chalice very funny. You know, Crocus to me is just incredibly fucking dumb, you know, and he's (laughs) super fucking misguided and he really has no fucking clue. You know, almost in no scene ever does he have a clue. He's (laughs) just like, hmm, I guess if I do this, everything's going to be okay now. You know, I guess if I just (laughs) follow Absalar across the ocean to a drifting (laughs) island, I think it's all going to be good. (laughs) I think that's what, you know what? I just saw a girl randomly once. I think I need to dedicate my life to. No, I stole from this girl. She was asleep. I think I'm falling in love with her. Yes. This is like (laughs) the exact type of like next level crocus brain shit. And crocus brain. The reason I identify with so much is because I too feel the same way. I feel (laughs) like I am incredibly stupid and Mm -hmm. spend all my time being like, you know what, Peter? If you just do this, I guess Mm -hmm. things are going to be okay. (laughs) I should go across the ocean to a drifting island. Yeah, you're you're the podcast Crocus Younghand. No, I I think I think the reason I like I like him so much is because I too feel as completely lost and purposeless mm. as Crocus mm. Younghand. So yeah, I think my favorite parts about Crocus is when everybody around him is like, "Oh, it's like this," and they're like, "Yeah, it's like this, definitely." I get this, and Crocus is like, "Hey, can someone explain to me what the fuck is happening?" Because a lot of the time he's hanging out with like Absalar and. Uh, you know, who is a god and uh, Haboric and stuff. I love scenes when Crocus sits someone's down and he's like, hey, Ralic, I figured it out. Here's what I got to do. This is what life is. And then <laughs> the other person's like, yeah, I guess. Like, what? Like, Scalar is there. Like, what on earth are you talking? To? What are we doing? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just nothing but love for Crocus Young Hand, you know, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll defend him till I die, baby, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think he's great. Anyway, um, let's talk about Krupp. Sure. The one, the only. I love Krupp. Uh, I mean, I knew Krupp was the eel. I knew Krupp was a very powerful what? magic user. <laughs> Um, so honestly reading this book, I was just like, I'm here for the Krupp bits. Like nothing about his story surprised me or anything. Like I didn't know about the, him like showing up to the Jagged Tyrant and, you know, uh, trapping him in Mianus or whatever for, for a hot minute. But a lot of what Krupp does in this book is be the eel. And, uh, actually the one quote that I wrote down from this book was nor can beggars be choosers when it comes to cheese, which is something that Krupp says that I just really loved. Mm. <laughs> He's just a welcomed character in the story. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a way that Krupp is like too much, but I don't he think... Can, he can be too much sometimes. Yeah, but I don't... I, I think the book skirts that line pretty, pretty expertly for me you most of the time. Justin, this literally we recorded this episode 12 hours ago. That's why we keep talking about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in that episode, I was like losing my mind about Carsa. And I think one of my problems with Carsa is that when a scene starts, I already don't like him. And then the scene <laughs> keeps and then the scene keeps going. 
and it uh-huh. doesn't stop and I get more and more <laughs> aggravated. And I believe this is how a lot of people feel about Krupp. The scene starts mm. and they're like, I'm not a huge Krupp fan. And then there's like <laughs> two paragraphs of him just trying to say that's a good idea. I Like I get people who don't jive with the, with the eel. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm like, I get why you don't jive with Karsa, but I think they do jive with me for similar reasons. Um, mm. Because like once the scene starts, you're like, okay, I kind of know what this bit is going to be. And Krupp's is just like, he's going to talk a whole lot, say his own name. And Karsa's is like, he's going to say that it's better to be in a small village and murder everyone and think that he's always right. <laughs> I think they both are on the same level for me. <laughs> so um, what did you make of the circle breaker stuff? He's breaking circles, baby. Uh, honestly, I'm having a hard time recalling the specific circle breaker bits just because I got so much in the noggin. But I thought it was nice that Krupp lets him go live on an island at the end. <laughs> I thought that mm. was nice. Do you want to remind me of a specific thing so that... No, I don't know. I don't feel strongly about the Circle Breaker plotline. Yeah. But I, I I consider it to just be this odd thing that probably means more to me than I, than I can really articulate, you know? What do you mean means more to you? I just think, like, the book could not have him, right? Right. Right. I mean, there's some things that like you find out through Circle Breaker, but the mm-hmm. book could just not have them. Sure. And I think for me, then I just start to feel like I think more about like, well, what what is he adding to the story, and why we're breaking circles, baby? You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's how I feel. I, you know, I think mm-hmm. I think I really like him, and I think I appreciate that storyline. Yeah, I mean, I like the undercover bits that he has. Like that's fun, and I think it really adds to the the, the Assassins Guild war or whatever um which was a also one i mean it's a huge part of the book obviously but i really loved that stuff like the scenes with um relic nam and the other assassins just like kicking ass or getting their ass kicked just really really jived with me it was it was it was great really i i liked him i don't know i liked it you didn't like it I just feel like for me when I like the book already has so much stuff going on and then we get to it and it's like and in the city there's assassins and there's a bunch of assassin. I'm like guy I got so much on my plate like <sighs> I'm already set on stuff you I know? don't know I feel like that added to the life of Darugistan for me like like it's an established city with all of this other stuff going on and like sure there are all these political things going on but they're you know really the 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 assassins guild are the people pulling the strings and stuff but there's also a cabal of mages there's all these thieves i sure. already felt full up on stuff going inside Darugistan. i don't know there's, man, the, a, there's the fet a, there's cotillion and, like uh it's a, big, it's a big city baby big city big stuff going on listen i'm glad you like it i'm not trying to one thing that we haven't touched on yet is uh it's because it's a whole book we got it's a whole book um, I do just want to touch on Tattersail. I love her. She's great. Uh, immediately is just like so much fun to read. I think if I didn't know what Warrens were, I would have a totally opposite opinion. Um, but knowing how magic generally works, as soon as Tattersail is introduced and the, the, uh, you know, the betrayal by Tatrin. Uh, happens like I you know knew what was going on I felt like I had a firm grasp and it was just fun to read one thing that I do want to say is that I completely glossed over her death like it totally just like went right across my face um I I I read that scene with her Bellerton Bellerton and Nightchill and didn't connect the dots that that meant or that she incinerated them all 
Mm. <laughs> uh, so then in like a couple chapters after that, when they were, when Perrin was like, I must avenge her death. I was like, wait, 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 wait. What happened? So that was a fun, a fun thing for me. It's kind of interesting that you get to see Night Chill there. And then you, mm. because obviously we talked about her in Memories of Ice in that way, you know? Right, right. Um, and, and then you also see Bellardin, another character who gets referenced a lot, but is really mm. only in Gardens of the Moon so far. Yeah. Uh, I do love, I think I just love the idea of muscle bound characters not punching because I love Bellardin just being this like beefed up bargast who's casting spells and also can just like take a thousand hits because he's a bargast. <laughs> like, it's just so fun. You just got muscle bound boys for days over there, you know? I do. I love my muscly boys, I guess. Mm. All right. <sighs> what else are we missing in Gardens of the Moon? Um, the, the one, one thing I did want to talk about was the actual, like, final, final climax with the Ghislaine, sure. the demon. We didn't even talk about the Tistandi. No, we didn't. They're Keep there, going. and Animander being a character is cool, and Moonspawn being around is very cool. All the dragons, also very cool. Uh, but... Sometimes it's a real pain you haven't read all the books, you know? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, no, man. No, on a read-through episode, it doesn't bother me. But when we're having kind of more loose structures, I just like mm. want to talk about Animator Rake in entirety. Mm, but got it. here we are in a weird vacuum. But. Sorry, pal. Sorry. Oh, I live such a difficult life. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ghislaine, the, the demon, uh, yeah. Tashrin's demon, right? Uh, yeah. Is that, Lassine, yeah. Lassine unleashed it. Lassine, Lassine unleashed it. That's what it was. Not Lassine. Lorne. The adjunct. The adjunct. Oh my god, we didn't even talk about fucking Lorne. Lorne is such a great character. I love Lorne actually rules. I loved Lorne in this book. I did not know that she was a POV, and I was fully on board the entire time. Man, (laughs) Lorne's great. Uh, And her meeting uh, Tool and naming him Tool and and doing the tyrant stuff and uh, fucking... Oh man. Wow. Lorne. (laughs) Yeah, all of the Lauren stuff's great. I love that she gets so depressed at the end of her story. I mm. love all of her travel to Talani Mass. It's just, I, I actually think maybe the Lauren stuff's some of the best stuff in the book. I agree. Yeah. And I can't believe we glossed over it for 51 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's because it's not like the, oh, it's Whiskey Jack, it's Perrin, it's sorry. It's yeah, well, like in, the headline. Of- she comes up, obviously, in, in book three and, and, and stuff. You know, talking about comparing Tavor and you know Lorne and blah blah blah, but I I didn't realize she was a character that we like actually ever saw do stuff. I remember hearing her name in the episodes, but I never remembered like her doing anything. I guess. Oh, you fool! You sweet summer child. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So the Galane. <laughs> I don't know. It was just it was just a wild thing that I didn't even know was a part of the story. And then when it was like, oh, here's this huge thing that's like tearing apart the town or tearing apart the city. And oh, also the Crimson Guard are here and they're here to save the day. Uh, I had no idea the Crimson Guard were in this book either. Um, Just bonkers. Is there anything you didn't like about the book? Probably. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Uh, Nothing that like stood out to me is like, man, this... Like, I'm not ha- I'm not really having a good time with this part of the book. Like, I don't All right, say, you heard it here first. 10 yeah. out of 10 book. AJ no, thought it was perfect. No, it's, it's not a perfect book, but I just don't have any specific thoughts about what I didn't like about it, I guess. 
Well, feel no pressure then. Man, what an ill-conceived podcast. This is an impossible task to talk about like these yeah. two books, but I'm glad you read them, but maybe we should shuffle along to talk about Deadhouse Gates. I think we should move on to talk about Deadhouse Gates. If we didn't talk about anything that you wanted us to talk about, sorry, and go listen to the first season because they talk about stuff in detail. <laughs> Seven cities. Wow. The ASMR experience. <laughs> this is the start of it. And, you know, you came on, you talked about House of Chains, Marine Bone Hours Now, and this yep. is the first book in the series set there. Yes. Chain of Dogs, baby. Yeah. The Ch-Ch-Chain of Dogs. Ch-Ch-Chain of Dogs. Turn and face the chain, you know? Yes. <laughs> you can never break the chain. Yeah. Would be a phrase proven untrue. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. What's our way into this book? Pick a way in. General thoughts Deadhouse about Gates. this book. Let me just, let me just start with, with, with big thoughts about this book. Uh, I loved this book. I had a great time with it. I think the setting of Raraku and Seven Cities is great. I love it. Good place. Fun to be, <laughs> to read about. Definitely not fun to be. And I, I am really great. Like when I read Gardens of the Moon, I was like, okay, cool. I'm glad I read this book. It was, there's a lot of cool, fun character stuff in this and, you know, introductions to characters and all this stuff. And it's neat to see the first entry in the series. Cool. When I finished this book today, uh, I thought, man, I'm really glad I read this book because even with the context of the ca- these characters in House of Chains, I feel like there's still so many characters that we didn't hear from in House of Chains that are in Deadhouse Gates that I think maybe we will hear from again in Bone Hunters because it's a big book. And so a lot of stuff could happen. <laughs> No, Deadhouse Gates is a really important book. Yeah, there's just so much good stuff in here. Um, and I guess we start off with, I didn't even realize this. I had read this already because I read the first 10 chapters. The whole prologue is just Felicin and Haboric and uh, Bowden like being chained up and the priest of hood, you know, covered in the bugs or whatever. I didn't realize that whole thing was the prologue. Uh, I think that prologue is the best prologue in the series. It's is my wild. Opinion. It's huge, first of all. And it's it was great to read. It's a great introduction to this entirely new continent. Yeah, I, I think for me, a lot of the other prologues like are good, but kind sometimes get caught up in trying to set up too many things. It's like, mm. well, we got to like throw six balls in the air 10,000 years ago so right. that we can see how they landed all this time later when we get to the present. Do you mean it's right, just right, right. kind of setting up these storylines often ancient ones? That's opposed to this one, which I think is just such a strong character introduction. And it's bringing us, the reader, first us, introducing us to a central character of the story. And then it's bringing us from a place we already know within the Empire across the sea. We're going with her, you know, and we're kind of being forced to go to this new place with this new character. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's such a powerful introduction to the story. Yeah, I think it's, it's great. It's horrific from many angles. Yeah, it's it's it starts the book off with a bang, I suppose. Uh, yeah, and I loved it, and I loved Felicin. Felicin's great. Um, I loved Felicin when I was reading it the first time, and then completing her story arc and her transition into Shaikh Reborn, um, just fully on board the so entire good. time. Loved it. So good. Yeah, I don't. Uh, Felicin haters don't at me. 
because and wh- you're it's one wrong. of those things too that you probably had this experience of when you're reading it the second time and you know where she's going you yeah. know that she's going to become the head of this rebel army yeah like you can see how kind of everything's kind of leading to this and it's kind of it, it's all forming her into the person that becomes Jake reborn right oh she has a line in when they're in skull cup where she just says like live to the next hour or something which was just like a hundred arrows to my sweet tender heart just because you know knowing where she ends up and stuff it's just like woof you know it was actually it was actually safer for her to go there you know it was the only choice stop she was supposed to leave sooner (laughs) Bowden says that but she didn't i know i know i'm just being a goon (laughs) but but anyway so Felicin has this whole journey. It's also the introduction to Haboric, and there's you spend time with Bowden, who's a character you obviously haven't really read for any reason. What do you think of her companions in Bowden and Haboric? Especially well, I, this is like the most lucid we see Haboric compared to, yeah. especially compared to Bone Hunter's Haboric, who's just <laughs> sending it fully off the rocker. Um, I, you know, like I said, I read the first 10 chapters, so I had a pretty good grasp of the relationship uh, between these three. And I think reading it, like the first time I was way more at a point after they escape Skull Cup and they're and they're trapped, they're walking through the desert. Felicin and Bowden's relationship to me felt more like sibling y, like they're just like ribbing each other, like being mean on purpose. But having like listening to <laughs> you're making a face. Um <laughs> listening to Ralph Lister read it, it's just like they they both sound like they're so full of hate. So maybe when I was reading it the first time, I was being way too generous, but that was a noticeable difference for me. <laughs> yeah, I would not describe the relationship as siblingly, but... Um, I, 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 it's definitely not siblingly. I, 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 I don't think their relationship is. I just think at a certain point, like they were both just like trying to say the meanest thing they possibly could to each other. Yeah, well, that's stuff true. And when I read that, I was like, oh, they're both like in on the they're they're in on the bit. Like they're both just trying to be really mean to each other just because. But when I was listening to Ralph Lister read it, it was like, oh no, these two hate each other, <laughs> like in a real way. Um, I don't think they hate each other, but. I, well, that's that was what it sounds like when when Ralph reads it. Okay. Well, this is what Ralph's interpretation <laughs> yeah. of it was, and that's. And I mean, I guess I guess I could go on a, a, a tangent, not a tangent, but I could talk about the difference between audiobook and actual book, but I won't. So, uh, what are the important parts of this book? Uh, the no, path well, of let's, hands. Let's, no, well, there's a bunch of other stuff, but I want to come to Mapo and Acarium, considering mm-hmm. we're reading Bone Hunters now, which is their, your probably most, we've read of them so far. Of course, we counted them by chance in House of Chains, but here they are as like central characters and they go through this whole cycle, which of course we know they've kind of been through before, right? Mm-hmm. And that they are going through again. Um, I, it's almost I, like it's the point. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> going. I don't know. I think my feelings about them in the beginning of Bone Hunters, I, I, if you want to know my feelings on Mavonicarium, you just listen to the first Bone Hunters episode because I feel the same way. Um, I like them both. It's tragic. Um, they're fun to be around because they're just two big boys swinging swords good. I do love, though, one of the touches that I love is that uh, Mappo has, uh, I, uh, using D&D terms, has a bag of holding. Um mm. And, and, and he actually, they reference it in the most recent Bone Hunters episode or, uh, Bone Hunters chapters, 
where he takes he takes a big bag out of his smallest bag and then a bigger bag out of that one puts a tent in the biggest bag and then puts that into a smaller bag into a smaller bag is something that happens in the bone hunters chapters we just read uh and i thought that was very funny and a good way to travel good job mapo <laughs> i exclusively imagine mapo trell as a goron from ocarina of time this is he, my exclusive image of him. Yeah, he's kind of got Goron vibes, right? Like, I imagine Ikarium as, like, a very tall, big man. Just like a man scaled up. But no, Mappo, I, use, I, I use the description of Ikarium to imagine him. But <laughs> What do you mean? Well, like, he's got tusks. He's, he's kind of this, like, half jagged, half, and he's, like, taller and... But not not Mappo. Goron, no. baby. Yeah, Mappo's Mappo's a stout, <laughs> stout weird man with a pointy head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean I I I guess to put a a soft pin in Mapo Nicarium, like I some of my favorite characters are the characters that are older than anything. Uh, and when they talk, it's just like, they're just like saying words like, ah, the stars and the, you know, it's just like really heady stuff. And that's part of the reason I love Troll and Onrak so much. Part of the reason I love Tool so much. Part of the reason, you know, that's it, why I love Mapunokarium so much is because just every, everything they say is so far removed from, you know, what's happening around them because they're measuring time in like, you know, centuries instead of hours, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> you just want to talk about the rest of the series? Yep. So let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's look at Crocus and Absalar who are drawn. They're like one of the few through lines. Of course, they come with Kalam and Fiddler to seven cities mm-hmm. and they all kind of, that eventually they kind of go their separate ways. But what did you make of, uh, Crocus and Absalar in this book? Since they probably are the two, I mean, you read them back to back, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I think them meeting in Guards in the Moon carrying over into this book where Absalar very much just goes from Fisher Girl straight into like, oh, I am also half God, so don't fuck with me. <laughs> like, there is no in-between. There is no transition period. It is just like, I am girl, and then I am memories of a God, uh, which, you know. I, dis- I disagree, bro. I feel like this is the transition period compared to where she <sighs> is later on. Well, sure. So- She's like <laughs> grappling and has these memories within her. She's much more reserved here than she is in House of Chains, Bone Hunters. Uh, yes, I guess. But I mean, even in this book, she's still talking about Cotillion's memories. She's like, like talking about things that sh- that he remembers. I don't know. I guess this is the transition period. But to me, it just felt like my initial feeling was like little girl to God murderer. <laughs> um. But I, I liked following their thing, their their quest, I guess. Something that really blew my mind about this book is how many of the characters' paths crossed. Like, oh, yeah. at one point, uh, you know, it seemed like I kept getting confused because it's. I was just like, wait a minute. I thought this person was just with Heboric, and I thought this person was just with Ikarim and Mappo. And it's just like everybody overlaps at one point or another. And I don't know. That's just was really cool and interesting to me because like they're constantly talking about how big the desert is and like you know the jagodan is this huge desert that you know people die in and all this stuff and like here we are every single character trips over culp's foot you know it's just like we it was good and i liked it <laughs> yeah yeah i increasingly think maybe dead house gates is one of the best books in this series you know? yeah i am really honestly dreading you asking me for my definitive rating because <sighs> well the thing is here's the thing the definitive rating is just like a fun thing to do on the show yeah i mean no, it's I like know, I know. 
obviously books is like they it's not really how and it's not really that meaningful to do that but of course it's always fun to pick favorites you know <laughs> yeah that's what that's what my father always says so <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> Anyway, Crocus has got it all figured out. You know, mm-hmm. if I just escort this girl across the ocean to her home, <laughs> then in fact, I think things are going to be good. Yeah, and when, be good and when my two friends say that they're sailing south for, uh, I don't know, some reason, I'm just going to say, guess, yeah, sure, I guess that works. Sh- sure, I guess, you, we are taking a detour across <laughs> another continent over foot? I, I mean, I guess so, bro. I, guess, I mean, hey, it's your boat. It's just it's like, your, uh, sure. Come on, man. Um... So funny. So let's talk about Clom. His storyline ends with like I think an amazing scene with him and Lacine in this kind of like yeah. out weird whole oh, thing. What you make of Clom in this book? I love that ending scene. Uh, I just gotta say I hated the whole Ragstopper saga. I thought that it blew so hard. <laughs> I what do you had, mean? I had I was totally uninvested at anything happening on the Ragstopper. Maybe because I know that in the long run, it does not matter at all. It just, just sucked the life out of me every time we would go back to the Ragstopper. Truly. I basically fully agree with you. I mean, <laughs> okay. I think it's all, I think it's all fun and all, you know, it's like sure. when you think about it, it's like, oh, then Kalam gets on a pirate ship and there's this captain and there's the sharks. Well, and it's a similar thing in House of Chains too. He's just like on a quest. Like he's just doing his own thing regardless of what everybody else is doing. <laughs> Uh, to me, it just, it's just like reeks of temporary conflict. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, I don't care. We're just doing questing right now. You know, we're on this boat and like, I don't, this isn't what, this isn't what the story's about. He could have I mean? gotten on the Ragstopper in book two, not been in book three at all, and then gotten off the Ragstopper in book four, and I would have felt the same about his story. Like, I think I would have liked his story more. I, I listen, it just... it, it, it's not it's not a huge deal. It's not like the Ragstopper things forever, right? No, it's like a few it, chapters, right? Yeah, but I, 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 and that's why I really don't care for Kalam's storyline in House of Chains when it's just Kalam on a venturing quest. This does this is not my cup of tea. You know, it, at least in House of Chains, when he's fighting that demon, it only it all happens in one chapter or the 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 whatever he wakes up at the bottom of that well, like. That happens over like two chapters, maybe. It just felt like the Ragstopper just went on forever. And I think maybe it was just because we were out on a boat. And so like the, the setting was like, you know, this big, like is Happy Meal sized. And so it yeah, was really asking, I, it was asking the supporting cast on the boat to do a lot of lifting. And I didn't care about any of them. Yeah, I don't want to rag on it because it's like, yeah, it's not sorry. the biggest. It's n- no, I agree. Like, I agree that you're saying it's just, I don't know. It's not a deal breaker because it just mm. makes up a tiny part of it, you know? Yeah, for but sure. It, 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 it doesn't make me stoked, you know, so. Yeah, but everything outside of that, I loved, I loved his, you know, siege of uh, the fucking city, you know, traveling through the shadows and killing all the claws and stuff. That was wild. Um, and I loved everything before that when, you know, oh my God, what does he do? <laughs> See, that's what happens. I get, there's, there's Kalam and Culp. And they both live in the same spot in my brain. And, I'm, and I keep thinking, like, was Kalam on the boat that went through the Warren? Uh, and I, th- I don't remember. No. Okay, thank you. Um, what does he do early in the book? It, never mind, it doesn't matter. But I, Kalam I, starts the book traveling with Fiddler and, Cro- right. and Crocus and right, Absalar. Right, right. And then eventually they go their separate ways. Yeah. Where does he go after that? That's, what I'm, that's where I'm losing it. 
he goes oh, he meets with Nala gets... and does the yeah 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 that part's great I love it's the Ken, it's Keneb's introduction. Manala gets introduced. Yeah, when he meets the when he goes to the bandit camp, does all that shit. It's great. It's a great time. It's so much fun to read. Um, so. That stuff I actually really like. Yeah, maybe it's because I care more about those characters. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was really the the boat did a disservice to the whole thing because it was it, it the possibilities for new things being introduced on the Ragstopper were so small. Like Which I kept is, why, praying for a Denrabi to show up. Which is why I think, like, obviously the book's trying to take this pivot into, like, who's, what's the deal with this captain? Let's do suspense stuff, you know? We're, yeah. like, on a closed setting, so we can't really do questing adventure stuff. We need to, like, have a mystery type of suspense bomb ticking yeah, thing. Yeah, it's just interesting. But I, I just don't think it jives for me. Anyway, let's talk about the chain of dogs. Yeah, baby. Starting with Diker, one of my favorite characters. Duiker. Love him. But that's that. That's how they say it in the audio. That is right? how they say Do it in the audio book. And every time I heard it, I said that's wrong, because they also say tista tista and e and tista idur. It's wild. So and, so the duiker, if you will. Yeah. yeah. What'd you uh, make of the imperial historian? I mean, I loved him. <laughs> I think he's great. I think his whole arc is great. His little undercover bits really good at but him being a historian amongst all of these soldiers even only having read the first 10 chapters of this book while reading 3 4 and 5, I always th- thought that perspective is so was so interesting. Um to have somebody kind of outside the battles, you know, seeing everything happen. Um cuz it's you know, kind of an audience surrogate and I don't have to like I don't know. It, it was just, I really jived with it and I had a great time and, and seeing his transition from being this objective observer to becoming, you know, everybody calls him a soldier at the end, um, and to kind of becoming Coltane's number two, uh, sorry, Bolt is just really great. His arc is so good. Yeah, I fully agree. I just, I love his perspective amongst the soldiers. Um, knowing where the chain of dog storyline was headed, mm-hmm. do you think that affected how you read it this time? It absolutely did. Um, I, I I don't think it super did because like I don't know in a way either they were gonna make it to Aaron and they were gonna live or they were gonna make it to or they weren't gonna you know make it to Aaron they were gonna die um, and I think either way all the stuff that happens along the way is still really good um, and mm. I don't think it really affected my feelings about that at all I had a, a great time you know reading all the the Coltane stuff reading all the the Duerger stuff and all the Chain of Dog stuff is just all very f- fun and good to read. But I definitely don't think it had the impact that it would have if I, you know, hadn't known their fate. Um, but even so, I didn't know the specifics of it. Like when they were approaching Aaron, I was like, oh, man, these gates are going to be closed and everybody's going to get slaughtered. Uh, I didn't realize that they make it into Aaron and then see Corbel Adam's uh, army, you know, just destroy the the, the vanguard. It was just slay, slay, slay the dogs, if you will. Yeah, um, I, actually, I won't. But I get what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, um yeah it was just really really heartbreaking still but i it definitely didn't hit me as hard as i think it would have if i hadn't known going in we also say uh i mean obviously when you're reading these books you coltane so f- the books from you've read coltane has kind of been this martyred figure yeah but here you are with coltane himself what did you make of reading of this kind of now legendary figure yeah i mean i think think it was great it was this a similar feeling to reading gardens of the moon and like getting our introduction to, to Perrin. honestly just like seeing the the beginnings of this character um and i mean i guess not beginnings because he was already a fist by the time we meet him but just like 
meeting him and seeing him whip the seventh into shape or the ninth, who is it? Whoever it is. They're doing, you know, doing all the training and, you know, List keeps dying in the trainings and stuff. And then Dewicker does his whole thing. Like, I just think that whole storyline is is really, really good and really, really jives with me in a big way. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> you just want to talk about the rest of the series? <laughs> no, it's just, it's just sad they all die. It is. It's so fucking sad, man. Oof. It's, it's, re- it's really rough. Really, really rough. Man, and like, I didn't know the specifics of like Pormqual and Nethbara. Um, like those dudes suck. <laughs> like Nethbara blows chunks and uh, Duiker kicking his throat in on his horse is really good. Like, fuck that guy. Uh, fuck Pormqual. Like, woof. All right. Um, unless you have any specific takes, I think we should request people at you, talk to you on the Discord, and I want to get some bigger thoughts as we try and talk about what you think reading these two books, do they inform what you've read so far in three, four, and five? And what do you think that'll mean now that you've actually read all these five books going to the second half of the series? I think reading Gardens of the Moon has just given me a lot of context for like the beginnings of these relationships in terms of the series um, between a lot of these characters, especially the bridge burners and stuff. But like also seeing uh, Shadow Throne and Cotillion like kind of start their ascendancy. Um, I thought is, is, was really good. And I think that'll color my reading of them throughout the rest of the series. But I don't think I got a whole lot out of it. Like, I think it does a great job of setting up the world and setting up, you know, all this stuff. But I don't think in the long run, I don't want to say I'm not glad that I read it. Cause obviously I'm glad I read it. It's part of the series, but like, I don't think this is like perspective changing or anything, but I mean, keep in mind though, I have the whole podcast also, you know, in my brain as well. Um, so I can't really say yeah, if I was missing I, I would out. say it's tough because th- I don't think you, you didn't read the book in a normal way, right? Yeah. Not only is the podcast a part of the equation, you also read three, four, five. So right. I, I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah, I, the, I, I more enjoyed reading Guards of the Moon because it was like, ah, this maybe is something. Like I noticed this, this is, thing, th- which is, it's just, it's so, I feel so kind of frustrated because like, rereading gardens of the moon i imagine it's like rife with stuff happening uh you know that affects the end of the the series but for me it's like oh i know that word i don't know what it means but i know that word and i know it's there like you know uh, just just all the talk of chaos definitely set off some alarm bells but i don't know what it means i have no idea (laughs) but yeah so that's my gardens of moon thoughts but dead house gates i definitely think uh i have I will benefit from having read this book because like I said, I read house of chains and like, I got, you know, the, the Shaikh reborn stuff and, uh, the Leom and Toblakai stuff and, and, you know, all the other stuff that's in house of chains, but I didn't really know anything about Duiker. We didn't really know anything about Coltane. I didn't really know anything about Mapo and Icarium. So having these characters, uh, be fully fleshed out in this book, I think is really going to, you know, I, it's it's obviously going to have a positive impact on on this book at least on on bone, bone hunters because I think a lot of this stuff is coming back. Honestly, going into bone hunters, I was most eager for you to read Dead House Gates because yeah. I think House of Chains is not a great introduction to Seven City setting. It's definitely and, not, and a lot of Dead House Gates is really important for House of Chains, and that through line continues into 
bone hunters. So mm-hmm. I think, um, of course, that Guards of the Moon Imperial politics, kind of that foundational stuff is pretty important. But I was definitely having more of an eye on like, you should definitely finish Deadhouse Gates yeah, before I definitely, we get to Seven Cities. I, I, I definitely got that feeling like having come like halfway through Deadhouse Gates. I'm like, oh, I'm really going to benefit from having read this book. Now that like, because when we started Bone Hunters, while I was also reading Deadhouse Gates, so you know, similar setting and all this stuff, uh, it really was just fully cl- clicking in my brain. Uh, I love this the setting of Seven Cities. Just it's so so good. I think I think it's the best setting. I don't know. I know I just said that about Georgetown. You just said that Georgetown, yeah. I they're just settings of two different scales. Do you mm-hmm. mean I don't think mm-hmm. a single city on Seven Cities is as interesting as Georgetown, but. As a setting for an entire book, I think Seven Cities is like a better continent than yeah. Canada. I just think the the cultures and the just the 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 continent itself being a character, you know, like the desert being this oppressive thing that's like always around. Like they do that with Darugistan too. Like Darugistan is this like you know bustling city full of life. All this stuff is happening underground and blah blah blah. But like to have that maximized you know like times a million or whatever uh into a continent i think it's just it, it's it's wild and and it's great it's like new york is the fifth character fuck um i do just want to say there's a lot of stuff that happens at the very end of dead house gates that oh man i i i'm thinking about the epigraphs episode where josh asked you if we know who gothos is because at the end of this book crocus and absalar and fiddler all meet this chained up jag uh and absolar asks are you gothos and then they're teleported out of that warren which is just fucking blew my whole head off uh i thought josh asked me about fisher keltath no i'm pretty sure he said do we know who is he said i think he's asked if gothos was a person Hmm. well gothos (laughs) is a person gothos is a person that's for sure um oh yeah because we talked about gothos's folly right yeah because that's that's yeah, yeah yeah the Oh man, the Urpin Rudd stuff taking Duiker off the his, his his crucifix and like t- taking his soul and stuff was so wild. Not wild. I just like I didn't even know who Urpin Rudd were. <laughs> like I didn't know who these characters were. Uh, and so I I read that and then I went and I read the uh, epilogue of Memories of Ice when we are reintroduced to Duiker in in this you know in this story I guess. And like I didn't it didn't even register because I didn't know that he was like t- torn to bits um, having been hung up on this crucifix. Like when we meet him in memories of ice, they're all talking about like, Oh, he hasn't spoken in a while, but Baruch didn't Baruch says it's not like a physical thing. Like we put all his pieces back where they're supposed to be. He just isn't talking. And so for him to be this like, you know, d- torn apart mess of a man uh, is just even wilder to me. Ha- yeah. That's just nuts. I don't know. It's nuts. <laughs> I'm really losing my mind over here. You know, <laughs> one of these, one of these, like, I am really starting to be at the point where I'm like, well, we're like a bit into chat book six. So mm-hmm. that means we're almost done book seven, <laughs> which soon means we'll be done book nine. So I can start talking about these things. Yeah. 
because we're two years in and I still can only talk about half of the series, you know? Sorry, pal. It's good. It's just like, like especially, I think, when we're talking about in this broader way, mm-hmm. like, what does book two mean compared to book six, compared to, like, what it means all these ten books? Mm-hmm. I am even more eager to just, like, you know, because we're not talking about one scene where Ikarian was doing this, you know? Right. It's like, let's talk about Deadhouse Gates and what this book means, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but you're glad you read book two. I'm really glad a I read book two. A little cooler on book one. Yeah, I mean, book one, was it's a good book. It was fun to read. I had a great time. But uh, book two is at least immediately, like, benefiting me from reading. Like, maybe I'll feel differently about Gardens of the Moon, you know, far, the farther I get. Um, but immediately, I, I am reaping the benefits of book two. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens to Icarium. I'm excited to see, oh, I th- there's a, a, a baby pregnant with Coltane's soul or something. Or, or sorry, not the baby's not pregnant. The baby has Coltane's soul or whatever. Um, so fucking that. And Stormo got taken by all the butterflies. Uh, so I'm just, I'm, I'm really hoping that at least one of those characters will come back in this book in some capacity. In, in Bone Hunters, I should say. But yeah, I had a great time with these first two books. Um, so thank you for telling me to read them. Um, I'm glad you read them. And uh, I'm glad that we're all set up to kind of go into the second half of this series and absolutely yeah, crush it. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy, boy. What is this? 2014? Nice. Remember Thanks. that? That was a time in our lives. <laughs> anyway, um, I think that's going to about do it for us here today on yeah. the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, yeah. I know it's kind of a weird one, kind of a roaming about episode in a lot of ways, but I think we both had fun, and mm-hmm. I'm glad we got to uh, kind of put a button on it now yeah. that AJ's on the show. Woohoo. I'm excited to be on the show for the rest of the ride. Uh, I do just want to say thank you for waiting the extra couple days for this episode. We're recording this on the Friday that the episode normally would come out. Um, so thanks for waiting. And if you have things that you want to talk about, cause I know there's stuff that we missed. Uh, if you want to know my feelings on things, I'm in the discord. You can at me on Twitter if you want. So that that's that. <laughs> thanks. I'm really excited for this new season, bro. I am also. Well, I don't know why I said it like that. I yeah, I am as well. That was even worse somehow. I'm also excited for this new, this new season. This book is already off to a great start. Just like giving my friends a big old hug, you know, seeing all my 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 good friends again. Uh, and I'm hoping I will see some of my new good friends again later in this book. Who knows? I mean, you explicitly do. I do. (laughs) Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Next week is our interview with Steve about Midnight Tides. Let us know what you think of the show. 10 Very Big Books on Twitter and Gmail. And uh, take it away.